Hello, welcome to the Happy Place podcast. I'm Vince, the host. Uh, today's a very special episode. I get to have a conversation with Don Golden. If you don't know Don, Don is the former pastor, one of the former pastors of Mars Hill Bible Church. And you might think, hmm, name sounds familiar. If you know of a uh, well-known person named Rob Bell, Rob helped and was the founding pastor of Mars Hill in Grand Rapids. And I'm a huge fan of Rob. And then because of that, and I've been following Rob since, let's see, probably 2007, uh, maybe 2006. And so through him, I had heard of Don Golden. They co-wrote a book together called Jesus Wants to Save Christians. And it was it's an absolute great read, and I highly recommend it. And so through that, I have followed Don's uh, career, if you will, and I got the chance to, to meet him and connect with him, and we've developed this friendship. And so I reached out and I said, Don, would you like to be a guest on the podcast? And here he is. So you're going to enter right in on the beginning of a conversation, and I hope you like it. Thanks for listening. How are you, bud? That's a serious microphone you got there, Vince. It sure is. And my daughter made me an ornament last night. So nice. I got that hanging. So, yeah. Nice. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of got this dark background with the light coming in and it feel like a like a Raphael painting from the 16th century or something like that. You're very just refined. And uh, I, I, like <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I saw it. Some heretical text that you just lift up, lifted up there. That's uh, be careful. Be careful. There's a, a, you know, there's a secret code in that book. Well, then I must have missed it. Where's the code? What page was that? Yeah, at, literally, actually, there is a secret code. Um, it's one of the footnotes is is not real, and it <laughs> I can't remember which one, but the. Somehow that footnote kicked off a uh, an ARV, is it called? Uh, it, it, a game, a, a um, alternative reality. Yeah, that's it. Okay. ARG, alternate reality game, that was associated with the book, and um, about twenty thousand people played this game. Oh my gosh! Uh, it was highly produced. It was based on a fictitious story about a crazed evangelical cult that had a bunch of people kidnapped and the gamers had to work it through and get these people free. And um, Rob had read something in Wired Magazine and the guy, Mike Selenker, who designed these games. Anyway, that's he talked Zondervan into using all the marketing money for this game. And the game was a success, but it was not a good marketing thing because none of the gamers cared about the book right uh, right it was more the game uh, but it was fascinating and and very interesting you it, i um what is it called uh, yeah i mean it's still on the internet you can see all the but but it all it all kicks off with only one person needed to find that secret um so there's there's one footnote in there that doesn't connect anything oh man and somehow i can't remember how literally it might have been like a a physical like a space like a a, um, a stall at a roadside rest area in Spokane Washington or something that where there's a piece an actual piece of paper that kicked right. off this game. It was really amazing oh, man, really that's amazing. funny <laughs> so the book Jesus wants to save Christians and so I want to get background and I told you this I think like a couple weeks ago when we talked but for the listeners okay so you wrote this I think it was 2013 is when it was published 2008 it first published okay. that version and then yeah, it was okay, yeah, yeah. in 2012 okay so I read this when it came out because a couple years prior I I read Velvet Elvis and I, I knew of Rob and I just became like this instant love of Rob look at this picture of you guys Look how young you both look, but you don't even look the same. It's scary, man. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but this book was everything to me for a long time. And because I realized like this American Christianity that I was taught was not was not right. And um, so this was 
it was really an impactful book for me. And then, so fast forward, I hear you on Rob's podcast and I, then I hear you again and the work you're doing, which I want you to talk about and you'll explain it a thousand times better than I will. But, um, on a whim, I reach out to you and then we've now talked a few times and now you're here. So for everybody who doesn't know who Don Golden is, who is Don and give us like the 30,000 foot view of who you are and the work you do. Yeah. So, um, uh, there's a Emily Dickinson poem, uh, Emily Dickens poem, Dickinson poem. Uh, I am nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Um, so who am I? I, um, you know, I have been in ministry, Christian ministry, since I was a young person. I uh, and and all all of my career has been involved in kind of charity and human development, beginning with refugees back in the in the late uh, back through the nineties. Um, I I spent years in the former Soviet Union with uh, helping resource institutions. And it's always been about raising money for charitable work. And and that's put me in, you know, all kinds of really interesting places. And I've gotten to meet and become friends with very interesting people like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and Walter Brueggemann and just awesome people around the world and and have gotten to do great things uh, with those people traveled a lot, um, 80 countries almost now. I can't, I've lost, lost count. Um, my probably, um, you know, it's all, it's, uh, I heard, I heard faith described recently as, as a conveyor belt that moves us towards uh, a deepening spirituality. Um, but if it isn't a con- conveyor belt and you kind of get stuck in these lower levels of our development, which I think in Christianity in general is kind of s- stuck at a lower level of development. Um, I've been, I've just been on that journey and, and allowed faith and service to take me wherever it, it uh, would. And uh, that's been really exciting. It has also started over time to awaken in me a positive and a negative. The negative being that the charity model has some fundamental flaws. Um, sort of at the meta level, it's based on the idea that we mess up the world and then we heal the world. You know, so Rockefeller is the classic example. In 1913, he starts a foundation which still exists and is doing amazing, important, great work. That was 1913 when he established it. In 1914, he hired a private army to suppress his workforce that resulted in the death of over 20 people, including women and children. You know, so he wants to help the world, but in order to do it, he's got to make money and he's got to be ruthless. And that kind of approach to capitalism still remains. And if I can put a picture of a child on my refrigerator to, to make me think I'm involved in justice, then I don't have to think about the structural justice of which I am a beneficiary. Um, and that's now beginning to change. And, and where we see that changing is in the area of ethical, just, purposeful business, uh, impact investing, trying to, you know, it began with negative screening, the idea of I don't want to invest my money in cigarettes or sin industries or whatever. Uh, well, if, if there are things I shouldn't invest in, are there things I should invest in? And now there are billions and billions of dollars moving in the direction of, uh, of transformation. And I, I think, uh, so who, who is Don Golden is someone whose faith has taken me on a journey. And that journey has led me through the world of aid and development into social activism and now into the world of impact investment and sustainable business development. It's all been about raising funds. It's all been about finding people who maybe have everything but meaning or adequate meaning or enough meaning and uh, and those who have an important struggle but they don't have the means to advance that the, their solution to that struggle and when you can bring together those without meaning and those without means that is a catalytic kind of uh, source of energy and so now i've just shifted that from the the charitable philanthropic world um, into this world of creating businesses. And I'm just super excited about it. I feel 
I feel like I'm back in my earliest days when a friend who was living in Vienna, Austria, the, the, the wall was coming down, Eastern Europe was opening up and he was living in Vienna, Austria, working with refugees, swimming the Danube and coming to Austria. And he, he said, hey, come and work with me. And I dropped out of college and bought a one-way ticket and moved to Vienna. And uh, I had $80 when I landed. I didn't ha- hadn't finished my education. I had nothing else. I had no family right. that's going to support me. And I, uh, the universe responded to help me. God showed up in big ways. And then I sort of became a, you know, then I got more formalized, finished my education, um, joined, you know, organizations, eventually climbed my way up in those organizations, got, you know, bigger salaries, but it's sort of less and less freedom, even less and less professional joy, I think, than I find now, even though I'm back to the struggle, back to the faith and trust, um, but I, I really... Uh, I'm I'm really animated by it, and um, so that was a long answer to your question. Oh, I love but it. kind of a summary, bringing us up to date to to where I am today. Your company, Just Capital Quotient. Yep. Explain how you're moving um, money from very wealthy people who are saying I I have money and I I don't like what I'm doing with it now, and I see that there's needs for people that are doing redemptive business. And then you have this other group that are, that are saying, I want to start something that's sustainable and start something that will actually change the world and not just make us more money and how you're kind of combining those two. Yeah. Well, um, first, first it does, uh, someone recently called me a, a pastor of creative empowerment. Um, Love that. and, and I, but but there is a pastoral element in this, although I never really viewed myself, even when I worked as a pastor, I didn't view myself as a pastor, probably because I was in a mega church and it was really more of a executive function. Um, uh, but so, so there is a part of this, this that is about helping all of us find our our purpose, our, our central authority. You know, who who are we? What were we made to do? And what's getting in the way of us being and achieving and doing what we feel uh, we were meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a lot of the work. And that's the contemplative work um, that I think is is really important and really generative. And I, you know, I think as we as we remove the idol of wealth maximization from the center of business, it has to be replaced with something, you know, in order to get people out of bed and help, help build teams around it and, and to create ventures. Uh, and so, you know, finding that spiritual energy and center, that's part of this work. Um, uh, but the, but the rest of it really is similar to the old, my old world of, of raising money. I used to jokingly say that I, you know, I'm here if I'm addressing, if I'm, about to meet a very wealthy person, I would used to especially feel intimidated. And I would think in the back of my mind, no, I am an agent of liberation. I am here to liberate them from their oppressive wealth, you know. Um, but uh, that is kind of a, a humorous way of saying that there, there is a, you know, wealth is to be celebrated, privilege is to be celebrated. Uh, I I am not in the camp that um, would would askew those gifts. I see in in the book that Rob and I wrote, Jesus wants to save Christians. Jerusalem is that that uh, place that God designs for human flourishing that comes with power and influence. But it's very clear in the text that it exists for only one reason, and that is to uphold justice and righteousness, justice being what belongs to whom and giving it back to them, uh, finding that out. And then righteousness is about the right ordering of, of, our, of our lives, of our economy, of our household. Um, so, you know, I feel like I'm doing the same thing. In fact, as an evangelical and kind of... Um, the sort of dualistic framework that we're often taught that this is your spiritual life and this is your real life. 
we're actually subtly and maybe overtly encouraged to stay out of the political economy. You know, that's uh, especially politics, but but actually the political economy is where the game is. That is where the, the true mission of the human family is. And sort of um, fast forwarding all the way to the end of the story, either we heal this economy or we burn out, we, we phase out, we, we end as a species. So, um, so actually I feel sort of missionary in this work. And, and there are two, for Just Capital Quotient, there are two clients. There is the investor, the person that has money they can put at risk maybe money they would have normally put into a charitable work. Um, I, I specifically talk about money at risk because if you need your money to work for your retirement, don't talk to me about right. it. <laughs> Go to right. somebody that specializes in that. And there are impact investments that are now commercial grade that you can engage in and expect a good, if maybe not optimal return, still a good solid return. Um, I'm more interested in those early startups. That's those are where my connections are. Um, but so the investor who's looking for those kinds of um, the edge of the of the purposeful new economy, I want to connect those investors to those great opportunities. I have a whole range of them. Some are on our website. Love to talk to people about them. Yeah. Um, on the other side, and this is maybe what we're finding more. Um, it just happens that more people more opportunities are coming our way from businesses that want to be more purposeful and want to be more sustainable. Maybe they need to find out how to grow in, in, in that way. Um, and so we're providing services for those companies, some very technical, like doing a, a sustainability audit. That is, uh, if you talk to any business owner, they'll, they will usually say, they are trying to do something good with their business. Um, but they've, and oftentimes they are, but they very rarely quantified it or, or measured it. And there, there are auditing mechanisms that you can uh, employ in your business to get objective about that. And the good news is if, if it's not exactly good, you can improve it. If it is good, you can begin to compete. You know, you can use those audits to go back out to your market and say, hey, if you have a choice, why not choose us? Because we're putting back more into people and planet than, than we're taking. So those two clients, investors and businesses, that's who we serve. And I, I really do, again, feel like a missionary or a pastor uh, as people really are passionate. You know, maybe I'm in a small segment of, you know, a few hundred people, I don't know, but there's a lot of energy you know, over my course of my career, I've been involved at different times in, in like a, a moment where there was a lot of attention. So the, the eight global AIDS crisis in Africa, I was, you know, I was involved in that work and, and we saw a lot of movement and a lot of attention. Uh, that's how I got to know Rob Bell. They were the first church in America to give a million dollars to AIDS work. And they gave it through World Relief where I was working. Okay. Um, so that was an amazing time. But but there have been others like that. But today, I think that the moment is around this idea of a new economy, a new and purposeful business model uh, that seeks to give back more than it takes. Yeah. So can you break that down? What does that new economy look like? Because it's rooted in, I would say, biblical principles. But even for somebody who doesn't read the Bible or doesn't associate as any person of faith, can you break that down into very layman's terms of what sure, is yeah. economy? Well, it definitely has biblical roots. Um, you know, I don't think you can call the Bible socialist or conservative. I've heard it said that, that Jesus was nonpartisan, but he leaned left. You know, I think that's probably a, um, but I mean, there are things you can't deny, for example, the Exodus, you know, um, you know, everyone according to their needs and from everyone according to their abilities. That's, you know, Marx picked that up, but he picked it up from Moses. Um, you know, the Acts 2 of everyone sharing um, what they had and no one claiming property for their own. You know, that was just a radical commitment to community. And and I think the Old Testament is steeped in neighbor love and in and in the the we of how the covenant people 
agree to, to work together and the sort of bold individualism and autonomy of the enlightenment and especially in its U.S. expression, it doesn't find root. In fact, it would be idolatrous in the text. Um, but in layman's term, the new economy is a quadruple bottom line economy. Currently, we have a we have a single bottom line economy with with notions of a double and triple. So the single bottom line is the bottom line. If it doesn't make uh, dollars, it don't make sense. You know, that's the that's the single bottom line that we've all known, and that's the capitalism that's brought us up to this day. Although there have always been strains of you know ethics and purpose within capitalism. The, the second bottom line is the social impact and, and beginning now to formally disclose. Uh, I mentioned this on the Robcast that um, Larry Fink of BlackRock, the largest investment entity in the world, $7 trillion fund, they have declared, he declared in his annual letter at the beginning of this year, uh, a fundamental reshaping of finance, it was titled, he declares there, if you are not disclosing your social and environmental impact, we will eventually divest from you. It was a major shot across the bow to all corporations and CEOs that that sustainability and the environment uh, is no longer for the Birkenstock wearing Ben and Jerry's type corporation, but for everybody. So that's the second and the third bottom line, adding to your financial returns, social, and environmental, and really, really knowing, uh, you know, the single bottom line capitalism is built on the idea of externalities. What's an externality? An externality is Jeff Bezos paying zero taxes as a company, Amazon. They um, they'll claim all kinds of other taxes that they that they pay, but paying income tax on the wealth that's created, and then driving up and down everybody's roads and creating potholes. And then those of us, 40% of America that doesn't have $400 to replace their tires have to fix those roads. That's an externality. It's a cost of Amazon doing business, but in their accounting model, they've pushed that outside for somebody else, the world, the cosmos, the the planet, somebody else will pay for that. Right. Triple bottom line accounting says account for everything you do. You know, account for how much money you make, your your PL, but account for your impact on all your stakeholders, the people, their human well-being. It does it improve because of you or does it uh, d- does it get worse because of you? And then the environment, not just your your carbon output, but all aspects of your value chain, are you taking more from the planet than you're giving back? So that's triple bottom line accounting. Quadruple bottom line accounting is, is a spiritual accounting for your life, your role, your business in the world. And I think it's never gonna, of course, never gonna make it into a, the, the, the auditor's charter. Um, but it's every business owner being aware of what the legacy of this work is, what the animating force of this work is. I think you could, I'm not sure how a materialist would go through this, but I think you could be an atheist. You could be, doesn't matter that there is some non-material animating force related to your business. That's what I, what I have heard called and I think is really helpful to take stock and take account for that animating force that's non-material, non-financial. Um, and so I think the new economy is marked by those four areas of priority. Yeah, I love that. And I don't mean to hate on Amazon at all. We use them, so I'm guilty. But yeah. we, you and I, you hosted this call last Monday. I got to, the privilege to be on it. And there was a lady who, I uh, remember her, she was from MIT, And she worked at Amazon in some large capacity, but she left because Amazon said it was cheaper to have EMTs outside the door waiting to take someone to the hospital rather than installing proper AC. Yeah. And that was a real big eye opener for me because I think no, most people would never know that. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. That, that is the, the you know the the logical outcome of shareholder capitalism or profit maximization is that kind of 
external externalizing costs, even costs that great. Um, but I take great joy in the fact that people are changing, and and um, uh, you know one one area to watch is there there was something from the nineteen from nineteen thirty two until about nineteen eighty called the New Deal consensus, and it was a set it was a policy framework that that an antitrust framework that regulated how big banks could be and what they could do and how big corporations could be. And they, it stemmed out of the, the liberal age, the, the Rock, Rockefeller and um, Louis Brandeis wrote a book called Other People's Money in 1913. And it was a challenge to this idea of allowing huge monopolies in banking or corporations to, to dominate American life, that it imposed on freedom, that it imposed on innovation. And a, a pretty reasonable, I think, uh, framework was put in place after the Great Depression, as a result of it, that held steady up until Reagan. Uh, it began to be chipped away at in the 1960s by a guy by Robert Bork and then Milton Friedman and the Friedman School. Um, but then with Reagan, you know, government is not the answer to our problems. It, uh, it, it is the problem. You know that that justified the dismantling of the uh, the, the administrative state but it also removed regulations. And then after him, every president, including Obama, has supported this deconstruction of a, of a framework that would help uh, prevent banks and corporations from ruling the world. Um, so I do think that's important to follow. And one book I could recommend to you and your listeners that really has done more for me than, than any other book to unpack this history, it's called Goliath by a man named Matt Stoller. And then Matt Stoller does a uh, newsletter called Big, and he's just tracing all of these things. And, and it's actually encouraging to see some better picks coming into the cabinet. They're not from the big banks, but they're, they're not radicals. They're not Warren or, or Sanders, which, I, which is where I come from, um, but they are at least likely for example, there's some antitrust activity right now being mounted against uh, Facebook and and uh, uh, Google, and that's important stuff because it was the breakup of IBM, for example, in the 19 or late 1960s that created the software industry. Had that antitrust not been employed, there wouldn't be uh, there there wouldn't be the software industry that we have today because it would have been held proprietarily within IBM and who knows where we'd be. So right. what would happen if Google didn't dominate the way that it did today, or if Amazon didn't dominate the way that it did today, would I have to pay $12 for the, the leash I just bought for my dog that I happily bought for $6 on Amazon? Yes. But would it be better overall that I did that? Probably. So, right. so anyway, that's an area that I encourage so, so it's all about the political economy, you know, and all the stuff I'm about is, is working in the economy, but the policy framework is very important. Uh, and so it's good to be informed and Matt Stoller's book, Goliath really, really does a good job. Cool. I love that. I want to pivot real quick. And I, I got this verse, um, because I think it'll go really well with what I want to ask you. So the verse is Galatians six verses four through five. I don't know what version this is, but says, um, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Mm. So love that. As an entrepreneur who is I I have the classic entrepreneur brain of what's next you know, you know what I'm doing now, the work I'm doing, which is kind of where I want to land the plane, but I want to build out other things. And I know my listeners are maybe thinking of new opportunities. So the question is when, when someone is thinking, Hey, well, this would be a really fun business from your point of view as a former pastor and, and all the work you've done, what do you say to that person? Yeah. I, you know, I, what I've learned from the more than 300 post Rob Bell, Robcast uh, one-on-ones. And, 
you know, I, I am, there's more to everything than these Rob conversations or, or what, you know, yeah. but it has been unique in that anything you do over and over and over, you start to learn some patterns. And so I think this very simple framework of contemplation, intention, manifestation is, a, is helpful because it, it anchors it in the spiritual and in the, in the, in the, the non-material, but it pushes towards action. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to that idea, I, uh, I immediately, as I'm talking with people, I try to make a distinction immediately for myself. Is this person talking about an, uh, a general idea or is this a business plan or is this a business activity? You know, where are they on? And, and when it's just a general idea, that's not my, you know, I can, I'm interested to listen to it. I'm more interested though, in what that person is, what does that mean to the per, to the person? You know, is that, uh, and you, and you know, at some point, it's got to become fire in your bones. You know, it's got to be something that you're really passionate about, that you really believe in. And so that's why the work of contemplation. Um, you know, I keep referencing this uh, poem from Howard Thurman about you know, in every heart there's an island, and on that island there's a the, the, there's a temple, and in that temple there's an altar. And on that altar, and before that altar, there's an angel with a flaming sword, and only your true authority can pass that angel to be placed on that altar. To me, that is a great wow. metaphor of the journey that we're all on because yeah. it is a journey. If you're, if you're struggling, you probably have fire to go with that journey. If you, if you are, you know, wealthy and in need of nothing, you have to find and cultivate the energy to go on that journey, mm -hmm. but it is a journey. And you know, why get, why, why go out onto the sea? Why look for this island? Why, you know, why do all that? Um, so that, you know, a person that gets themselves into some kind of uh, practice that helps them orient their lives for that inner work is really important. And then, you know, discerning motives. Uh, you know, at my age, you know, is it the is it the two-seater red Jaguar convertible that I'm living for to make myself feel hip and cool? Or is it, is it maybe I got to land a new gig because I need a VP title to give myself an ego boost? None of that gets past the angel, you know? Right, right. But right now I feel like, you know, trying to use experience, contacts, passion, what little bit of knowledge I've gained to help people participate in building a new economy that can help extend the human species. You know, that's like, that for me passes the angel. Yeah. It sits on the altar and on the altar, you know, it, it, it faces fire and then that fire refines it and burns off the dross and burns it all up. If it, you know, if it didn't have the substance, yep. whatever, not to carry the metaphor too far. Um, but some people then really do need to set an intention. They've been doing a lot of that work. It's time to, you know, it's time to, to really, you know, so a simple thing of putting it in a business plan, doing a financial feasibility analysis, can you make money? And if you haven't thought about it through beyond that level, do it because that will help enrich the idea or put it, you know, mm -hmm. back on the, on the design board or, or throw it away to realize that's right. not what I want to do. Um, and then the, when that, when, when your intention flows out of, of a true, you know, inner authority, I believe with uh, Paulo Cielo, Ciolo, I can't remember how you pronounce his Portuguese name, but the alchemist, you know, the universe conspires to help us when, when that, when our work is part of our, you know, our true expression. So that's what I, that's the kind of process that I go through when people bring ideas to me. And then some of them, you can really just see, man, this is just so right. This person and the way it's happened and what's going on. And that, that uh, another analogy that I've been using lately is the idea of a sol the solar system, you know, the sun has mass, it has weight. And I love that word weight because that's related, the Hebrew word kavod or glory is also the word weight. You know, does it doesn't have substance, does it have weight? You, you, uh, you uh, strain out a, a gnat and swallow a camel because you have ignore the weightier matters of the law, Jesus said of the Pharisees. So some people have a good idea, but it doesn't yet have weight. You know, it's sitting there and the, the, the other planets are, are out there, but there's not enough weight. 
to give it the gravitational mm-hmm. force to create a system to make it go. But uh, sometimes the ideas are right. That's a that's a right idea flowing well out of a person. And then there, I think there are others that can give weight to it. It might just be money, but it could be marketing advice. It could be uh, you know putting it together in a better business plan, making an investment ready. And you know the more that others can sort of weigh in and enrich it, it gives it weight, and then. That creates that force that just draws other people and resources to it, and it can start going. And it's really a joy to watch people moving along that uh, that continuum. Yeah. You mentioned contemplation. Can you go into that more? I'm not good at it, and I'm not good at meditation. So what are some easy things we can do to slow our minds down and contemplate who we are and the work we've been given? I think you can order something on Amazon that'll do it for you. Oh, good. Okay. Next question. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, Yeah. I appreciate you asking that because I become, I went from being nervous about that word to being probably overly familiar and comfortable with it. And, and I don't necessarily mean meditation or prayer. I, I mean anything that stills you enough and regularly to, to face your inner self. Uh, the, the ancients called prayer or viewed prayer as the true self's encounter with the true God. And, and if you think about that, you know, our conceptions of God are layered with so many yeah. falsities and views and cult, enculturated, whatever. And then our access to ourselves, you know, the, I know that, since, you know, I'm a TV age kid. So in the seventies, you know, get home, turn on the TV. And it's like a thing, you know, I show up at a hotel, I just turn on the TV and then I go about, you know, learning to, why do I do that? Not do that. You know, let's not turn the TV on. Um, And then, you know, that, that's all the process. So there are different things. So me, for me, daily running is, is a, is a physical, spiritual, contemplative thing even just the liturgy of it that i do it every day now there'll be a time today when i run at least one mile i do that every single day um and it makes me not just watch netflix on one of those days when i might i i have to get up and that the 30 minutes involved in putting my shoes to taking a shower at the end that's involved even a one mile run does something to my psyche you know and and that's part of so that's um I, I read, but even sometimes, say, for example, reading the technical thing, the getting into that space and the quiet of reading a, a more academic thing, that, that can be contemplative music. Um, whatever it is that you, and often you can see this in the negative, you know, just try. Uh, one thing I do f- on the meditation front, um, you, you think about uh, 20 minutes or something of total sen- literally set your 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 um, timer on your phone for three minutes and just and you know for for about a year I just did from like three to eight minutes and that just that action of deep breathing of stillness mm-hmm. of quiet but knowing this isn't going to kill you you know I'm not going to be a monk here it's just a few minutes um, you know that doing that regularly and getting a taste for that uh, that that's all I'm talking about. And that can come in all kinds of different ways, but you know, the, the usual things, reading the contemplatives, Thomas Merton, Richard Rohr, Ronald Rollheiser, but I always point people towards people outside of their culture. So, or their uh, demographic for, so I always point people to Howard Thurman, one of the great mystics, African-American man, or Barbara Holmes, the, her book, the contemplative practices of the black church. Uh, that just gives another angle because part of contemplation is, is being able to see yourself, like going to the moon and seeing the earth, you know, going somewhere that's not comfortable to you and being able to then reflect on yourself. So that's all the stuff of contemplation. Uh, it doesn't have, it can be anything you want it to be that helps you quiet and faith comes in because you have to believe that at the center of that quiet is a, divine spark yep. you know that is your true nature where you and god sort of fuse right uh, and my my belief is that that is the 
you know, that is the catalytic power of the universe that's just there inside me. And, and that's the source of life and love and sustainable existence and also things like uh, business ideas and, and, and energy for, for doing a business. Yeah, ah, that's so good. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a tough question. So we all have this inner divine spark. And what do you say to somebody who has gone through abuse or trauma where they feel like that spark is gone and they can't even access that anymore? Yeah. Um, we talked on the call last Monday about the cry of the oppressed. And um, I think that kind of relates together. I mean, very much so. I, I, I am a uh, Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm an evangelical in the sense of the, what I believe the theological roots of that good news for the world is um, not in the, cultural version that uh, exists today um so that's the primary frame out of which i approach this but you know it begins with people suffering in slavery in exodus and and genesis is actually the backstory because it's you know it's, well I, you can read jesus wants to save christians for how we lay that out but exodus is kind of where the story begins and genesis is the genesis is group therapy for newly liberated slaves. It, it, Genesis says, you and your father and father and father and father and mother and mother and mother, you all existed for the production consumption demands of a God on earth. And you were treated as subhuman for as long as you can remember. Genesis says you were made in the image of God, that, that a creative effervescent God. And by the way, this is the backstory the backdrop of the Genesis story is the Babylonian god Marduk and 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 Tiamat. That is is the, the universe is born out of violence and gore, you know, and and that's the kind of god that is behind the Babylonians. Um, so this story is is a counter narrative to say no 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 you were born in love by. Uh, a god of effervescent joy and creativity who made everything for for the pleasure and glory of creation in his name uh so that liberation journey uh is the, is the path of faith and you know the the yes. good part of the good news in that is that it it is those who have suffered trauma who often have, through that trauma, a capacity to awaken to life's source and power. Um, not to in any way justify that suffering, but it is, it is sometimes the catalyst by which, you know, the classic, the alcoholic who comes to terms with their, um, their inability to manage their lives, um, or the, the person that has been traumatized that recognizes a force beyond themselves that can give them life and help them overcome that trauma. So that theological word, the cry, or in Hebrew, sa'ak, um, to honestly cry out in that moment of quiet that we were talking about before, God help me. You know, the Psalms, the Psalms are three types of Psalms, Psalms of orientation. This is the way the world ought to be. And if you do X and Y, you get Z. That's, this is life as a, you know, perfect beaver, beaver cleaver world. But then there are Psalms of disorientation, like Psalm 88, the last word, last phrase of which is darkness is my only friend. You know, it's full of all these, how long, O Lord, or, or Psalm 137, blessed are you who dash your enemies' heads against the stone. You know, it's raw, perfectly raw human honesty yeah uh, and then psalms of reorientation when you've come through those trials sufferings and the universe has proven healing and fruitful and beneficent and you find praise and gratitude uh so the psalms i mean they are, I've lived in the Psalms, you know, that just my, my, when you open up my Bible, they're just, it's just, everything is marked up in many dates because I just find everything that a human can feel and express is 
felt and expressed there within what you call covenant fidelity, that is within a faithful heart. Um, so that traumatized person needs friends and needs love and needs healing and needs justice and needs things to be put right. Um, and there is a sort of household of faith, a covenant uh, that hopefully they can find themselves welcomed into um, uh, to, to become a, uh, you know, a, a human thriving example of that liberation path of healing that the universe offers us. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Beautiful. You have been such an inspiration to me. So I just want you to know that. And even that, what you just said, um, as, as an entrepreneur who has failed and we've talked about my story, you and I, that trauma is still there. Mm. And just even hearing you say that was really healing. Mm. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, healing is there. You know, the resurrection is the belief that they're, that dead things live again. <laughs> right. You know? Um, so, you know, practicing resurrection as a, as a Jesus follower that, you know, I'm, I experienced divorce after many years marriage and I didn't think there would be life on the other side of that. And, it, and life has come and it's been amazing. Yeah. Um, so, and I see it both in me, my own experience and around me and in the world, but it doesn't downplay the living uh, suffering that uh, continues all around us, which is also part of our mission, you know, to engage with others and being a part of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you some, what I would call hot seat questions. These are completely fun. The podcast is called the happy place. So we're going to end on a high awesome. note. All right. Nice. What are you reading right now for fun? Well, I'm reading. What I'm reading for fun is also what I'm reading for um, work, and it's called "The Lost City of the Monkey God," and it is a true account of a discovery made in Belize, Honduras. Uh, and I'm working on a project in Belize uh, for uh, cacao beans. So I'm. I always, whenever I, whenever I'm going somewhere new like that, I. I try to read everything I can find on the history of that yeah. place. And this book came to me. And so I absolutely love it. It's, it's got, you know, adventure and, um, and, and history. Um, but I also read things like, you know, how is this imposing something on a place that maybe I'm going to later want to break down and understand in a different way. So it's, I just love, uh, this kind of his, historic, uh, uh, travel kind of, uh, mm -hmm. writing. So yeah. that's the book I'm reading right now. What's your favorite place you've been in all of your travels? Yeah, I let's just pick one. I, I uh, Uzbekistan. I used to travel there regularly, okay. and the old, the ancient Silk Road, uh, this, the ancient cities of Samarkand and Bukhara are uh, just remarkable. And back in the days when I was going there, they weren't. No one was going there as tourists. Um, uh, a poem that I read in conjunction to one of those cities we traffic. We travel not for trafficking alone. By hotter winds, our hearts are fired. We travel this sacred road to Samarkand. Uh, just this idea of these, these, these people trying to make money, but there's just something about the adventure to life that's compelling them probably back in the 12, 1300s. So um, Samarkand, Bukhara, and Uzbekistan. Oh, that's cool. When you do sit down and watch Netflix, what are you watching? Right now, I'm watching The Crown. Uh, see, I haven't gotten into that yet. Yeah, I uh, I can see why not, but I have really gotten into the set, the third and fourth seasons, which is different. It's the older queens, different actress. Um, but I lived in England for five years. I and so there are just some things. For example, I I ended up doing my master's degree at the University of Wales, and Charles is sent to the University of Wales for three months. Uh, so okay. I always knew about this story about one of the cities in Wales being crushed under a slag heap during a rainstorm that, that killed like 200 people. That's covered in one. Uh, there's some good history, good storytelling. There's one episode in which the Queen's husband, Philip, meets a vicar. And it's about kind of the midlife crisis. And they 
it just handled very well. And it results in a, in a, an Institute for faith and philosophy that's been running now for 40 years. And that's a great story. So yeah, I'm, I, I give, give the crown. Although before that it was billions. Oh, I love that show. And uh, which ends as you know, in season five halfway because of COVID, but that, that it's, that is um, executive produced by Andrew Ross Sorkin, the um, New York times financial Times uh, financial reporter, so it has actually some really good. Um, it, it, I'm studying economics and economic history, and a lot of what I'm learning is being woven very informally. In fact, season five has a lot to do with impact investing. First, this kind of green virtue signaling, greenwashing, but then beginning to emerge as actually a competitive arena for the frontier capitalism. So it's a, it's a worthwhile show. Billy. Yeah. I, I love the show, but oh, Netflix, to, though. no, it's not um, showtime, but I have to sit and watch it. And I don't have time right now just to be able to sit and listen, you know, where yeah. cause you got to, they reference so many things. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. dialogue that's heavy, true. heavy. We just finished Shit's Creek. Have you watched that? Oh yeah. I, uh, I was watching that recently when my health, uh, si- I had a health situation, um, and I haven't gone back to it. But I, I really like, I really like the son. I can't remember. I know it's a father son and the whole yeah. family that are the Levy family that are making yeah. it. But the the guy, I can't remember the young boy's name, David. Or the son's name. But he's he's yeah, David. Really, I love that. Yeah, very funny. Yes, that's um, now that's probably one of my top three shows of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. yeah. Well, sir, I appreciate your time. And, pleasure, and our new friendship and i really you're gonna do world-changing things like you've done in the past and i'm excited well i'm I excited to see words. it i appreciate it and give them right back to you and hopefully we'll get to do these things together yes sir 